Welcome back to another podcast of Beaten Not Broken. I'm your host, Leanne, and on today's episode, we have a wonderful guest by the name of Laura. Laura is an incredibly strong woman with a shocking story to tell, so let's give a warm welcome to Laura. Oh, thank you. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and for your patience throughout this entire process. I am incredibly excited to hear your story. So if you could do a quick introduction, including your name and how many years you were in a domestic violence relationship. My name is Laura, and I was married for 10 years, and it was pretty much the whole 10 years, including when we were dating. Thank you for that. So, Laura, could you tell us your domestic violence story from the beginning to the end in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing? So, I was married for, again, for 10 years, and uh, the abuse pretty much started even when we were dating, and uh, we actually dated about a year and a half before we moved in, and then we lived together for a year, and then a year after that, we got married, and a year after that, I had my first daughter. So. Uh, the signs were there when we were dating. I mean, they were very obvious, but by that time, he had already learned to control me and to convince me that I would not find anyone else, that he was the only one that would love me and there would be nobody else out there to love me. And somehow they convince you of that. And so he did. And then there were just here and there, just, you know, one time he threw me out of the car and he threw the food at me and uh, he had gotten mad at something. That's how it was when we were dating. And then I also actually, he had gotten mad at me and he left and I thought that he had left for good and I tried hurting myself and thank God nothing happened after that. But then we got back together. I remember going to his place and he lived with two other guys. So I remember when I went back to him, I remember he had seen what I had done to my wrist and he made, he made fun of it and told his friends, you see, she couldn't leave without me. She even tried to hurt herself. So that's how it was always pretty much belittling me and and just the way he talked to me as well. So we, we moved in together and he was pretty strict in the sense that always had to know where I was and who I was with and how long was it going to take for me to come home. And again, total control of me. And the only one that I ended up leaving all my friends, my family, that would be the only house that he would let me go to. So she didn't know what was going on, but she was always my savior, if you want to call it that. And there would be, again, a lot of signs such as I would tell him, I remember I would tell him some personal things that had happened to me as, as a kid and things that you would tell your husband that he would keep in total confidence. And, and what he would do is he would throw it back in my face and say, oh, you must have been a bad kid. And it was just a lot of, a lot of verbal abuse. And again, we, we, we were living together and we got married and, and the abuse had, was going on even when I was pregnant uh, with my first daughter. I had to, I want, you know, with both of my, my kids, I wanted to shelter them from, from seeing, from them to see him mad or angry. 
and I would submit to him with whatever he wanted, basically. And so whenever he wanted sex, I would have to have sex with him. And uh, that was pretty much the whole time. Uh, one thing that uh, actually I had mentioned before was that I, this was more like in the later years. Mm-hmm. It was so bad that uh, he was always a pot smoker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in order for me to, because you're literally, you're laying there and it was bad. So in order for me to cope, I guess, I would smoke as well. And then I wouldn't have to, I guess you could say I, would ha- I had an out-of-body experience this way. But then I would see myself just lying there and him doing whatever he needs to do. But that's what I had to do in order to keep him happy. And I did that so he could be happy around my, my children. So I did that. And then there were other times when I had to, uh, this is when we got the house, we bought a house. And I, when he would go into these rages that I would tell, I, I didn't want the, the girls to hear him screaming or anything. So I would tell him, you know, let's go to the garage. and then. You know, I had to do what I had to do to make him happy. So that was pretty much the whole 10 years. And then, like I said, when my older, when my first daughter was born, he, he was always, always angry, but He, he wanted my daughter, you know, we both wanted her. So, but when my younger daughter was born, or before, when I got pregnant, he did not want my daughter. And for seven months, I heard nothing but abortion every day in well, seven months because he did not want her. And then throughout the whole 10 years, our marriage counselors, and one of the things that he started doing was he goes, yeah, well, that's a good idea. We, we need to go see a family, a family counselor. So this way they can make you see what's wrong with you because you know, there's something wrong with you. So, uh, that was all 10 years and we would go to the, to the therapist and you can pretty much see that they knew what was going on. So once they were asking him questions more than me, uh, we would leave, and then he would basically say, "You know what? We don't need a therapist. We can hand we can handle it ourselves. It's going to be fine." And so and that's what happened. I think maybe a total of it had to be at least one therapist a year, maybe uh, that we would see. And um, and he wanted to prove that um, that I was sick. Uh, that was the whole point of going to see someone, and that's what I heard for ten years. I became obviously. You become, you know, totally with no voice. You have no voice. You have uh, no feelings. I was one person with him, but then I had to be another person for my for my both of my daughters because I didn't want them to. And that goes the same with work. I mean, I worked the whole time, and it's like acting, right? When you go to work, you have to go in there all chipper. So 
you know, good morning and all smiley face and everything. And then the moment you leave work and get in your car, then you know what's what's coming. So these abusers, they do nothing but degrade you, belittle you, take everything that you have away from you, from your self-esteem, your voice, and really you you just you you lose all that. And um and I, and what little I had I, I it was for my daughters. So I mean I still went out, did things with them of course and did everything for them. And then I guess the one time the one time that I even thought of leaving, it was when my first daughter was a year old. And somehow he had found out that I had been to a lawyer and uh, I had my daughter with me. I came home and he had come home. I wasn't expecting him, but he had come home. And then I had walked to the living room with her and he said, he told me, I know you've been to a lawyer, took a knife and he put the knife, pounded it on the wooden table that we have and it stood up. And he goes, if you think you're leaving with her and you're going to pass me, you better think twice. And just remember how easy it would be for me to take her out of the country. And at that time, it was easy. It was happening a lot. And you always heard it in the news. The thought had never come to my mind again after that. I had never thought of doing it again. I, I just always stayed. And it was, it was just, it was a long recovery after that. After my divorce, I never did seek any kind of counseling or anything I probably should have but I didn't because after that I pretty much dedicated myself to my daughters and we just you know taking care of them and they were in in ballet class and all kinds of classes and I was always out and about and taking one to one place the other one to another place so I really had no time to think of anything or what had happened or anything so I pretty much locked it up, I guess. And, um, and it was later that it came up when I started working at a domestic violence shelter. I wanted to volunteer and I had to have an interview. And I remember the person had asked me if I was um, a survivor of domestic violence and I had never been asked that ever. So I had said, yes, I guess I was. And I mean, I didn't even know that's what it was called or anything because there was really no word out there when this was like, you know, over 15 years ago, there was no word out there as far as hearing about domestic violence. And so at least for me, when I started working there, it was very helpful. And then seeing all the resources that they had, I realized that I probably knew, do need to do something. So that's when I found group therapy. And it was very helpful because it was like 20 women all in the same room and the same story. That's what helped me. And, and then somehow, I, you know, I helped myself too. But again, it's, it's, you always still have that. And I don't know. I would have to think, I mean, it's, a scar is a scar, whether it's, whether it's physical outside of you or if it's mental, which is inside, I mean, you're, you're never going to forget that. And uh, it always still lingers. I mean, I always still, sometimes if something I'm doing or something 
happens, then I get it like a, not like a flashback, I guess maybe that's what it is. And, and it brings you back to, to that time. And I guess, I think, I mean, the whole time was really bad, but I guess I want to say when I was pregnant with my second daughter, that maybe that was the worst because again, for seven months, seven and a half months, it was, it was really bad. And, and when I came early, I remember I had to call him at work and it was at night and he had to rush over and because I had started bleeding and then he took me to the hospital. And of course we had my older daughter typically, right. You would have a husband that stands there next to you and, and is there to support you and everything. And I was just on, on the bed and they were just, I had, they had to monitor me. They had to put all kinds of gadgets on me. And he was just in a corner, just sitting there with my daughter. And I remember the nurses looking back at him, like, I'm sure they were wondering like, okay, why isn't he here with you? And, but yeah, of course they didn't say anything. So, um, and that was, I had never felt that alone as I did at that moment when I was laying there by myself, not knowing what was going to happen to my daughter that wasn't born yet. So it's something like that you would never forget, but yeah, the mental abuse and the verbal abuse is, is beyond imagine, imagining, I guess how bad it can get. And when you have to hear that for 10 years, I don't know how I survived, I guess, but I always thought I was, I was weak because I didn't leave. And one day a close friend of mine had told me, how could you think that? I would say that would be a strong person because you survived all that for 10 years. And so, and actually, I guess if you include when we were dating, it was 12 years actually. So, I mean, working at the shelter, I think helped me a lot. And of course, by then I had started school. I had gone to school. That was the first time I did something for myself. So my daughters were already grown and one was still in high school, but that was the first time is when I walked into the community college and, and I registered and, uh, and then I never stopped. So I continued my education. I got my bachelor's and. Thank you for sharing that incredible story with us, Laura. I was just wondering if you could tell us the event that occurred right before you left the relationship. Well, the way that I got out was, I don't know if you want to say lucky or blessed or, um, so what happened with, at least in my case is that again, we went to see a therapist and this was the last one uh, before we got divorced. So we went to see this therapist and again, he started by saying we're here because you know, something's wrong with my wife and I wanted her to seek some help. And he went on and you can pretty much tell by the, by the facial expression of the therapist that she knew something was going on. So she actually then went ahead and asked him, so you're saying you would get a divorce because he was saying that I would never get a divorce because you know, he, I love him too much and I could never survive out there without him and I couldn't do it. And so then she asked him, so are you saying that if your wife was to turn around and ask you right now, can I have a divorce? You would say yes. He paused and he goes, of course I would. And so then she looks at me and she asked me, Laura, is there something you want to tell your husband? And I was, I guess I was a little shocked and 
But I took that moment, I guess, and I turned around and I said, yes, I do. I want a divorce. You can tell he looked shocked. And then, well, okay, that was done and we left. And then he didn't say or do anything to me. We were driving in the car and he was just saying, well, you know, that means a lot of work. I mean, we have to put up the house and and then you have all the stuff and then we got to find apartments. And, and I'm like, and I'm just like, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of it all. I'll take care of everything. And so we got home and I found an agent. Uh, I found myself a lawyer. I found myself an apartment. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. I did everything. I, I think maybe, maybe I was thinking in the back of my head that I, I guess I was afraid that maybe he might change his mind. So that's why I was doing everything so fast. I found the lawyer. We both went. She drew up the papers. We just used my lawyer for everything. and. And I went to court, he didn't have to. And I remember going to court and it was final. I remember the um, the judge asking me, she just looks at me and she goes, do you want to change your name? Oh, it's almost like she knew. And I'm like, oh heck yeah, I want to change my name back. <laughs> so I went back to my maiden name and then he helped me move. We had a we had garage sales, one right after the other. When I, after all that was done, he was getting ready to leave. Some other friends had helped me, helped me move, and they were waiting outside. And he was, I was walking. He said bye to my daughters. He was walking out the door, and then he looked at me as he was outside the door, and I was getting ready to close it. And I was saying goodbye, and he looked at me, and he goes, "Don't you feel weird?" And I'm like, and I and I was sort of confused, and I'm like, "What do you mean? Do I feel weird?" And he goes, "Well, this is like the end for us." There's going to be no more us. And I just looked at him and I'm like, and I just, I was in disbelief. And I really do believe he probably, he probably didn't realize, realize what they, what they did to you. My only words to him before I slammed the door was that, are you kidding me? I says, do you know that every time you touched me, you made my skin crawl? And then I slammed the door and, and that was it. I mean, we still got together because we did it for my daughters. It was my idea. And I, don't, I didn't want things to be so, so different, 100%. So we still went out for breakfast. We would go to the zoo. We did things because, because I needed to for them. So I, did, so I did do it. And then later on, really, as he got older, he would just pick them up then on the weekends, and we didn't do that anymore. But um, that's that's how I got out. It was unbelievable compared to stories I've heard. And and when I was in the group therapy, I mean, why that happened to me? It was so easy. But um, after the divorce, did you experience any stalking or verbal, sexual, physical abuse? No, no. Um, when the girls got older, however, and he would pick them up. He would trash talk about me to my daughters. Eventually, when my daughter and my daughter, you know, they loved their dad and they, you know, they just they confided in him. They would tell him things. And and when my older daughter was 16, she had told me she was going to share with her dad that there was a boy that she liked. And I told her not to do that, but she did. And um, he had just dropped her off. And she shared it with him and she came in crying and then he ended up calling her and he 
it was bad. He, um, he called her a whore. I mean, she hadn't done anything. She was just, she liked a boy. That's all. He called her a lot of things. And, um, that was, that was, it was an impact on her, uh, to hear her dad doing something like that to her. And that was, um, that was bad. And then she, it was her decision not to see him anymore after that. And she didn't. And then with my younger one, uh, he just would always talk about me then and then start talking about my older daughter. And so my younger one got tired of it and she didn't want to see him that much. And so visits, and then he started becoming angry and would say when she did see him that it must be me uh, that I was convincing them to to not see him, and uh, and that's how you know that because I, I was a bad person, and that's how I was when I was married, and and so he started on that with her, and then she didn't want to see him anymore. So it was their decision to to do that. I have never talked about him, and I didn't want to do that because I know that's something else parents do. But he ended up doing it. He didn't in the beginning, but then after. Like I said, again, as soon as my older daughter turned 16 or 15 around there is when he started doing that. So after you left the relationship, did you ever have a conversation with your daughters about the abuse you endured or did they ever find out like after you started volunteering at the shelter? Actually, no, we never did. But then when I was in school and I had to write a paper on my life experience, give me a good grade. So I, I chose that topic and, and, um, and they said we could choose anything regarding our lives. So that's what I did. And I let my younger daughter read it. Now I did keep out the part, at least the letter I gave her, the only part that I took out was the fact that he didn't want her. Um, I never divulged that to her, uh, everything else she read. And then my daughter was already in the military. And so when she came home, I had um, given her the letter and they said that they never knew. I mean, they said that, you know, he, they would see him get angry sometimes and stuff like that. But, um, but I did try to keep things, I really did try to keep things normal. And I did what I, what I had to do to keep things normal for them. And for the most part, it, for the most part, it did work. And, and which means, you know, going out, going out to the zoos, taking them places. So I tried to make it as normal as possible for them. You know, by then they had already stopped seeing their dad. They were sort of, they were shocked um, when they read the letter that my, or my essay that I had, that I wrote. And we talked about it. So we shared some things and yeah. Could you also share a little bit about what you do as a volunteer at a domestic violence shelter? Yeah, so when I, that place came about because it was actually, we were doing something at work because I'm part of the Inclusion Diversity Council at work and we were collecting school supplies and we were looking for some organization and we happened to come across this place, you know, that accepts school supplies for, for families of domestic violence and of course it was a corporate office that we went to. And when we went over there, my friend is the one that found the place. And so I remember we went over there to deliver all this, you know, like a full SUV of, of supplies. And we were sort of asking questions about the place. And and then that's when, you know, she was telling us about the shelter. And, 
and the programs that they have there to help the women and stuff like that. And then I think, I guess I just asked about volunteering and she was, Oh yeah, just, you know, contact this number and, uh, or you can email this person. And, and so that's what I did. And then when I was working there, it was, and you have to go through 40 hour training. And then once you work at the shelter, you, so this is a shelter. I know they have regular shelters and then they have shelters where they don't disclose the location because that's where, I would do hotline calls, and of course, uh, I would interact with the clients that are living there. I would, um, I mean, there's a lot of rules when you, you know, when you have to come and live there, because, it, I mean, there's a lot of women, so there's rules that they have to agree to, and, um, and so they would come to the office if they needed anything, because we also had to keep things locked up, so... That's how I started interacting, obviously, with with uh, the clients and started forming relationships and stuff. And then, and then I, I had already been going to school, and I guess maybe later on I had been there. I think a total of I don't know, it might have been eight years, maybe. And I wanted the women to also see that it does get better, you know, and that um, you know you'll find your way whether it's, you know, through school or through something that's going to give you this energy, this drive, and then you will eventually find, start finding yourself. But um, so, yeah, I started forming relationships there and made friends and, and they would always ask me and I would always share. And I, I mean, I loved working there. I, I loved it. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Is there anything else you would like to add on? In a nutshell, I think that was, you know, a short piece of everything. You never know. I mean, I always questioned it. Why did it happen to me? And I mean, who knows? I mean, I was an independent person. I was uh, good looking. I was uh, thin. Uh, so then I, I thought maybe there was a reason. I don't know. I mean, if it means that the end would bring me to helping people, because, you know, I help uh, with an organization helping the homeless. And then I did that uh, with, the, with the domestic violence shelter. And then I volunteered as I was a court advocate for abused children. And actually, I found out last week I got accepted to train to be a rape advocate. So I'm excited about that. Training starts next Monday. And it's going to be a grueling month of training, but there's so much that they're going to teach you so much to learn. And that's what I'm excited about. And then after a month, I will start where I have to be on call. So that'll be a new experience for me. And, but I'm, ex I'm excited about everything that I'm going to learn. And then hopefully I can be of some comfort to when I get these calls, that I have to go to the hospital because somebody was raped. So, yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with me today and allowing me to share your story with the world. You are an incredibly strong woman and I admire all the hard work that you're doing. I really want to take a moment just to thank you for all of the community service you're doing and all the people that you're helping. And that concludes today's episode of Beaten Not Broken. Tune in next time.